This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your user guide, Peter Kochnak. Do you remember that time in the early days and weeks of the pandemic when you picked up a new hobby? You baked bread, you gardened, you crocheted, you refurbished furniture, you wrote a novel, you created a podcast. Vladovince built a Yugoslav computer. And I looked for something to do when I would come home. That something ended up being Galaxia, an 8-bit computer created by Voja Antonić that enthusiasts built themselves using instructions published in 1983 in Yugoslavia's first computer magazine. I was just playing around with things. The little machine had an enormous impact on Yugoslavia's IT industry. It wasn't a very powerful computer, but it works. But what is much more important than all that, it was a story. As other 80s tech around the world, the Galaxia has enjoyed a revival in recent years. The reissued Galaxia actually is a Galaxia, which makes it yet again unique among retro computers. You can have the real thing. (laughs) In this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, a DIY Yugoslav computer and its enduring legacy. But before I load the program, a 64-bit reminder that this and every episode of Remembering Yugoslavia is made possible by you. Thank you to everyone who has joined Remembering Yugoslavia as a monthly supporter on Patreon or donated on the Remembering Yugoslavia website via PayPal. Today I welcome new supporters Tamara and Dragan. If you like the show, then join these generous people as a monthly supporter or donate one time. Go to rememberingyugoslavia.com donate and do input your data. Vlado Vince was born in 1991 in Zagreb. I am one of the last people who uh, were issued a Yugoslav birth certificate. When in 2010 Vince moved to Portland, Oregon to study art history at Reed College, we lived in the same neighborhood for a few years, but never met. A lifelong tech enthusiast, after graduating he moved to New York and ended up at the multidisciplinary art center called The Shed, where he advanced to IT director shortly before COVID hit. The pandemic hits New York and uh, we go through two incredibly difficult months. Around the time that I got to really leave my apartment for a longer period of time for the first time, which for us really came in May of 2020, I learned that New York City was essentially suspending all municipal composting. And a part of that was also suspension of electronics recycling, which brought me to visiting a community-based electronics recycling facility. And over there, I had the opportunity to pick up a couple of old pieces of tech. I bought an old keyboard and also an old camera and kind of got to talk to people for a little bit. And that really sort of prompted me to start thinking about old tech after quite a long time. Perhaps you too rediscovered an old passion when the pandemic locked everything down. I definitely did with Yugoslavia. This was also exactly around the same time that George Floyd was murdered. And for the next month and a half, New York, the rest of the U.S. exploded in protests asking for social justice, protests that I participated in. And I looked for something to do when I would come home. And messing with an old keyboard and random pieces of tech had an element of centering me. Hobbies and passions, new or rekindled from the backburners of memory, kept a lot of people in the U.S. and I'm sure around the world sane during the quite insane times of spring and summer of 2020. 
Fast forward to later that summer, me and my wife wanted to visit my folks back in Zagreb. So we managed to get over there. And I was already in this whole retro old tech frame of mind. So I started researching, okay, well, what were our people doing at the time? You're in school and they don't really teach you anything about technology in that intermediary period that for us is the Yugoslav experience. You know, I, I went to elementary school in the late 90s. Then they teach you how to use floppy drives or something. There's this sort of gap there that you never really learn about unless this was your experience. Very close to where I was, there's an old computer museum called Peek and Poke in Rijeka. And it was an amazing, I can't believe this thing exists here type of experience. Previously, I had visited the Computer History Museum in the Bay Area, which is like a crown jewel of the Silicon Valley. But this, to me, was so much more meaningful because this really was a space that celebrated my own history in a way, a history that maybe I was born after, didn't really get to experience it fully, but um, mine nonetheless. When I heard Vincent talk about this, I had one of those moments where I smacked my forehead. I literally walked past the Peek and Poke Museum while I visited Rijeka last year, but chose not to enter. The computer museum had two floors. On the ground floor, you kind of got the, um, you know, your global general history. There's the Spectrums, the Commodore 64s, etc. But then you go up and you find this kind of amazing room that's full of these logos and names that you don't really knew existed. I remember there's these boxes that say uh, RIS, Računarka Industria Zagreb, like Computer Industry Zagreb. I'm like, what the hell is that? I grew up in this city. I didn't know we had a computer industry. I was just so profoundly happy to see all of these things. Like there's these calculators, there's a photo of Tito checking out a calculator. Like it's all kind of like kitschy and campy in, in the best way. But this to me was the moment where I was like, okay, this is a fascinating topic that I don't know nothing about. As a young person working in tech, as a young Yugoslav or a post-Yugoslav person working in tech, it's my responsibility to educate myself. And the best way I educate myself is by doing something uh, practical. So I decided I got I to gotta either obtain or build one of these machines. He honed in on perhaps the most famous one of these, an 8-bit microcomputer called Galaxia. This was a DIY computer Yugoslav techies had been building themselves in the 80s, based on instructions, schematics, and documentation published in the magazine called Računari u vašoj kući, Computers in Your Home. The summer of 2020 was a big one for the little Galaxia, in fact. An article in the summer issue of the socialist magazine Tribune titled Socialism's DIY Computer stoked Vince's inspiration. And Vince learned about a group of people in Novi Sad making a documentary about the Galaxia and crowdfunding to produce kits for it. Unfortunately, they did not return my invitations to contribute to this story. I'm so happy they're doing this, but the timeline just wasn't sticking with me. So I decided I'm going to take the advantage of living in New York, where you really are able to obtain things more quickly than you are in the Balkans. And I'm just going to order all of this stuff myself. I'm going to build this computer. Vince followed a few self-imposed rules. He would use the guide from the inaugural issue of Računario Vaše Kuchi, of course the scans are available online, use only original or identical parts except the power adapter, and stick to a few memory limitations. 
this doesn't go as planned. And yeah, I'm really struggling to build it. It became for Vince the same sort of situation I experience anytime I undertake a home improvement project. No matter how much research I do in order to accomplish this thing I've never done in my life, I end up taking way too many trips to the hardware store, and back and forth and back and forth I go until I figure it out. You can follow the twists and turns of Vince's process in a series of posts he published on his blog and on his Twitter at M-E-J-S. What really becomes significant for me is trying to build a computer is really about trying to understand what 1993-1984 in Yugoslavia was like for the folks who were interested in technology. Galaxia was wonderful, but it wasn't the first Yugoslav computer. The trajectory of the Yugoslav tech industry followed that of the country itself. From the late 1950s through the early 70s, Yugoslavia experienced a kind of a boom, albeit financed in large part by foreign aid, mostly American, IMF loans, and remittances from guest workers, mostly in West Germany. Industries were developed, living standards improved, the arts flourished, literacy and life expectancy grew, the country was freer and more open than its Eastern Bloc counterparts. It was a socialist society, and if you don't interfere with politics, then you're okay. No one will help you, but no one will mind your work. Voya Antonic is the creator of the Galaxia computer that Vince built last year. Born in 1952 in Shabac in today's Serbia, he began to dabble in electronics in elementary school. His first project, or should I say operation, at 13 years old was a board featuring a map of Yugoslavia with nails hammered in the locations of major cities connected on the back to nails hammered to city names in the legend. When you connected a city's name with its correct map location, a light went off. The first Yugoslav computer was a mainframe called CER-10, developed at the Mihailo Pupin Institute in Belgrade in 1960 for the Tanyug News Agency. Yugoslavia was then one of only six countries that had their own computer. From 1960 to 1975, state institutions, companies, and the military used CER iterations in their operations, bookkeeping and such. Due to administrative bias, or bureaucratic laziness as I came to think of it, Antonic was not admitted to engineering studies, and so he ended up at the Faculty of Dramatic Arts, where he made in the late 1970s the first computer animations in Yugoslavia using cobbled-together equipment and software he wrote. As the country began to disintegrate in the mid-70s, and the economic crisis began to unfold in the early 1980s, the state abandoned its tech policy and switched to importing mainframes. Microcomputers and Yugoslav citizens interested in getting their hands on these increasingly popular machines were not so lucky. Unlike the West, where at the time computing is just such an exploding market, in Yugoslavia these things are really kind of niche. And an important difference in the way that the state was approaching this whole effort is that microcomputers are not things that you need on a, a big national level. like There's sort of this lack of vision that perhaps was present earlier. We formed just a kind of group of people interested in computers at that time. And we asked just if the government could uh, modify the regulations of that time, which were actually awful. The Yugoslav state imposed a strict cap on the imports of goods to manage foreign currency reserves and a trade deficit. You could buy no more than 50 Deutschmarks worth of stuff abroad, or about 100 US dollars, obviously not enough to buy a computer. Inflation that was gathering pace at the time, it didn't help either. 
Back then, there was no, not much talk about computers in uh, former Yugoslavia or Yugoslavia. So it, they were very rare. Dejan Ristanovic was a reporter at a popular science magazine called Galaxia at the time. And the import of those computers was uh, limited. Well, actually, I wouldn't say limited. I would say it was impossible. So nobody was actually allowed to import computers. So some were, were smuggled, some were imported by some little companies. Shopping trips to Graz or Trieste were part of life in Yugoslavia, which allowed its citizens to travel fairly freely. But because of the import limits, people often resorted to smuggling goods from the West, jeans, underwear, appliances, and some brought in an odd Sinclair ZX Spectrum or Commodore 64. We just asked if they could allow us to buy and import computers from, from the Western market. But actually, there was no reply to our questions and our requests. Uh, you know, we had, we had even a kind of public dialogue with some politicians in, in our printed press. And one of politicians said that we actually do not need no computers because we don't need programmers. We said that we will need programmers in, in the future, which turned out to be true. But he said that we need no programmers because he's, he has heard that Americans will produce the computers that program themselves, you know. <laughs> that are self-programming computers, so we will not need programmers. That's, that's the kind of people that we were dealing with. There was no other way but to continue smuggling, bribing, and hiding the equipment deep under the laundry in a suitcase. Antonich wrote in a 2015 article for Hackaday, a news website for the global hardware hacker and technology enthusiast. Watching the ascendance of microcomputers in the West, a number of Yugoslav companies in the first half of the 1980s developed their own machines to use internally, by state institutions, or in schools. None of these companies that made Yugoslav computers were computing companies. They just decided, okay, well, it's the 80s, it's time to start making computers. I love the story of this Lola 8, which was also a contemporary microcomputer made by the Ivo Lola Ribar, the manufacturer of heavy machine tools. Partner, Ivel, and Pekon too never became household names. Galeb and Oreo, made by Pel Varajdin, fared a little better, but were still too expensive for individuals as well as mutually incompatible. So they make this Galeb computer that doesn't really sell. They need to start production for the Oreo, and this is a much more ambitious project. They want to get into the thousands. And in order to get permission to import parts, the state mandates that they have to essentially account for everything they're importing. They need to export something out into the world. So they end up making wicker baskets. They are making wicker baskets so they can make computers. This, to me, is the perfect illustration of like the absurdity and also the wonder that is the Yugoslav computer industry of the 80s. One of the byproducts of socialism, whether it be the restrictive kind we experienced in Czechoslovakia or the looser kind the good people of Yugoslavia enjoyed, was creativity. People had to come up with ingenious ways to bypass top-down restrictions on social and economic life. Where some entrepreneurial Yugoslavs smuggled computers from the West, Antonic made his own. When you live in a totalitarian, controlled, and happy society and you want to be a hacker, you have to hack the social system first, Antonich wrote. 
I can tell you the story, but but you should imagine it just like not so serious project. I was just playing around with things. It was just one of, of many of my projects. By then, Antonich had developed things like a timing system for skiing contests and a machine for transferring frames from monochrome monitors to 16mm film. I would just wanted to see how simple computer you can make the computer that still works. The most expensive uh, thing, the most expensive stage of the computer of that time was a video interface, which generates video signal. Everything was quite simple. You must have the microprocessor, some, some program memory, some data memory, some DC supply unit, and some keyboard. And now you need video, which took at that time, it took maybe 80% of the hardware of the computer. So I just was thinking how I can use uh, some, some internal registers in microprocessor Z80 to generate that video signal. The year is 1983. I was in my summer holidays. I, I had to go to the summer holidays, although it's very boring for me. <laughs> I was just married and I had to go somewhere. But actually, it was just wasting, wasting too much time <laughs> on, on the beach. Then I, then I started working on that concept for generating video signal with almost zero hardware. Recalling Vince's decision last summer in Rijeka to build his Galaxia, I am beginning to think there's something about the Adriatic coast that makes techies want to build computers. I don't know. And when I came home, I started applying it on my table and and it worked and i said well if it works and it's really that cheap then anyone can make it why wouldn't i publish it somewhere everything that happened after that was actually not my idea it was just just a good moment it was happening automatically somehow while Antonij was working out a computer build on the coast in Montenegro, the editor of the popular science magazine Galaxia, Jova Regasek, tasked the 21-year-old Dejan Ristanovic to put together a follow-up on an earlier successful article, a special edition dedicated to computers. There were no computer magazines in Yugoslavia at the time. One day a reader approached Ristanovic with a pitch. His godson named Voja Antonić had built a computer and would like to share it with the public and would the Galaxia magazine be interested. I was very, very interested in that. So I went and met Voya, saw that computer. I was impressed, really. I was impressed because not only did he make that computer, he also made other computers before that as a prototypes, including the one he was using to develop software for Galaxia system software, assembler, and so on. So I was like, wow, it was a small apartment, but he had so much interesting equipment and he was obviously very, very able to do those things. So I took him to my editor and they talked and... Decided Antonich's homemade computer would be featured in Ristanovich's special edition of the Galaxia magazine, Računari Vashoj Kuchi, Computers in Your Home. It was another lucky moment for me to meet Dejan Ristanovich. Uh, he was just planning to publish the first issue of the first uh, computer magazine in Serbia. And mm -hmm. it was a good moment to work on that do-it-yourself project, 
Galaxia. And uh, everybody was willing to help about that. And it really turned out to be great. First, the October 1983 issue of the Galaxia magazine featured an article by Ristanovich introducing the project. At Regasek's insistence, they named the DIY computer after the parent magazine, Galaxia. And told the readers that they will be able to assemble that computer using legally imported uh, integrated circuits and motherboard and some other passive components that could be purchased in Serbia, in Yugoslavia. And he asked readers to send him a letter confirming they were interested in this project. And we expected that it, there will be some, I don't know, 10, 15, 50, 100 interested people. In Antonic's telling, he said 50, Aristanovic 200, and Regasek more than 500. But it, it was much, much more. And about between 800 and 900, we received that number of letters. So it became, even in the magazine, a, a very important project. And it was also a great inspiration for Voya. And he started uh, improving that computer. So in a few months, Galaxia was a much better computer than it was initially. But it was still the same uh, computer, easy to assemble and not very costly. The special Galaxia magazine edition, Računario Vashoi Kuchi, Computers in Your Home, came out in December 1983. The cover story, the Galaxia computer, and how to build one at home, plus the essentials of programming in BASIC. For less advanced geeks, the edition also included articles about what computers are for, how they work, and how to choose your first computer. It was a, a, a huge, a tremendous success for that time. Uh, we had to two or three times print additional copies of the, the magazine because everybody wanted to have that. The initial run of 30,000 sold out quickly, and the three subsequent runs sold another 90,000 copies. Now, when you look at, at that special edition of that magazine, now it's bad print, it's low-quality paper and so on, but for those who bought it, it was so precious, so, so interesting information how to use BASIC, how to select a computer, and on top of the, all that, how to build your own computer. That do-it-yourself project turned out to be very successful at that time, even much more than anyone expected. We, we've got, in our magazine, we've got 8,000 of letters of people who built Galaxia computer with their own hands. We can just estimate the number of all uh, the built computers because not everyone will write a letter. When you make something with your own hands, you have a different psychological approach to that thing. Some other emotional relationship. It's not the thing that you bought and you can and you can dispose it off one day. Mm -hmm. you, you, you keep it for your whole life. On the pages of the magazine and otherwise, both Antonich and Ristanovic helped Galaxia builders to obtain parts, domestically or from abroad, essentially organizing a supply chain for the computer. People could order domestic parts directly through the magazine, others by following the instructions included therein. I was just helping people with the advices how to smuggle them, how to order, how to, to hide the real price <laughs> so that it does not exceed the, the supposed 50 Deutsche Marks and so on. 
Antonich also programmed for free the EEPROMs, erasable programmable read-only memory units with the system software. Galaxia builders simply had to mail empty EEPROMs to him with a self-addressed and stamped envelope. There was no source for the computer enclosure, the box housing all the tech. People had to build their own. Because everyone had to build the computer with his own hands. We had uh, thousands of computers, which are same computers, but different looking computers. Everyone built the enclosure with the material that he had, or maybe with no enclosure, or but, but all of them were different. So I don't think that it will ever happen in the history again to have the type of computer which, which you don't have two twins which are completely the same. The duo also helped Galaxia Builders troubleshoot the computer. I've helped uh, hundreds and hundreds of people if they had some problems with bad soldering or, or, mm-hmm. or, or something. I okay. helped them to, to, to make that computer work. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all that I did. Later in 1984, a couple of Yugoslav companies manufactured Galaxias for use in schools. According to Ristanovic, Antonić sold them the project on the condition the magazine can publish it for its readers with no associated licensing fees. And while they first refused to call the computer Galaxia, they eventually conceded and the commercially produced Galaxia was born. Računari u vašoj kući became a standalone magazine in print until 1999, and a couple of additional computer magazines emerged following its success. And Galaxia became a national story. Galaxia je neosporo naš najpopularniji kompjuter. Šta nam predlaže njen konstruktor, Voja Antonić? It wasn't a very powerful computer, but it works. But what is much more important than all that, with 10,000 people, maybe 9 or 10,000 people building, purchasing the kit and making a computer, it was a, a story. It was a story for classic media, so papers wrote about that. We went to television. There was just, I think, one or two programs at that time on national television. And so everybody watched those programs. So, Ako volite da se igrate sa vašim računarom, ne mora to da bude galaksija, to može da bude i svaki drugi računar. Boja and I went there and uh, talked about galaxia, about computers in general, what can you use the computers for, how to build a computer, what can you do with that computer. Predlog Voja Antonića će, verujem, zadovoljiti mnogi vlasnike galaksije. It was a great time, it was a lot of work, but really great time. Delo je ruku njihovih vlasnika, pa će ovako jednostavna dogradnja za njih biti prava šala. A fascinating aspect of the Galaxia phenomenon was the software. While Antonić wrote and distributed the system software, a lot of programs, mostly games, were written by Galaxia users themselves. There were no hard disks or, or flash memories or, or anything like that at the time. There were even no floppy disks. So we had to record our programs on cassette tapes and on compact cassettes. <laughs> My my friend Zoran Modli, who was a famous radio host in Serbia of the that of that time, uh, sadly he died last year. He had a lot of radio shows at the time. And he had the idea to publish those programs through the radio. They were recorded actually some kind of audio format. 
and thanks to that you could just emit them in in radio show and everyone with the with the cassette recorder could uh, just record that program and use it as a, as a normal computer program Modley had already been broadcasting microcomputer programs on his Ventilator 202 show by the time Galaxia came along. He simply added the DIY computer software into the mix. The, the emitting of those programs lasted maybe for one minute or two minutes, and I was afraid that everyone will just run away, that the people will, will stop listening. But I was, luckily I was wrong. People loved it and people recorded it and they they started exchanging their programs through radio shows. And even one bright idea of Zoran Modli of that time, we had a digital magazine which was emitted through the radio. You could download it through your radio and read it on your computer. This was the third time broadcasting code over the radio occurred. The first to do this were the Dutch in 1980, the second the British and the summer of 1983, just a few months before Modley. Over three ensuing years, Modley broadcast some 150 computer programs, mainly for the Galaxia and ZX Spectrum. So in 1984, Galaxia became a Yugoslav computer celebrity. Its impact extended far beyond its popularity, or indeed its creator's intentions. That computer itself, it was not so useful. So you could play some games, even the graphics was low resolution. You just didn't have the printer, it had little memory and so on. That computer in itself made people hear about computers, made people interested in computers, and made people believe that they can really own a computer and use it, maybe more, some more powerful computer, and use it for some business or personal uh, work. So it, it, it really made people aware of computers. Galaxia wasn't just a computer. In the process of building his own Galaxia, Vlado Vince, a techie art historian that he is, immersed himself in the Yugoslav IT world of the 1980s. Galaxia was a whole big project of publication, distribution channel, community, and finally, actual machine. There's this group of people that put this whole structure together so that you, a random young or maybe not so young person living virtually anywhere in the Yugoslav land can obtain the parts for, can obtain the um, documentation and the instructions for, and then eventually build it. And that really wasn't the case with any other of these microcomputers. Galaxia really ended up being this kind of like national computer because it had a path to the people. And what's also really interesting is it was very much kind of a labor of love, really something that came from the bottom up and not from the top down. Michael Ebby's Tribune article, Socialism's DIY Computer, not only provided Vince with an inspirational boost for his build, it also came to diametrically different conclusions. I actually love his work and I love his article. But from what I took from, from his conclusion was sort of this kind of ambitious and, and utopian claim that Galaxia truly was like this people's computer that really ended up being made because 
And he says, it embodies a destratification of today's technological hierarchy, a tacit ideological assertion that computing machinery should be for the masses, cheap and available to everyone, and that neither money nor technical know-how need to be barriers to entry. And there's something about this that is both wonderful and just not necessarily true. And what isn't necessarily true is that Galaxia never had the potential really to be for the masses in a literal sense. It definitely was for the masses in its intent, in its overall effort, in its considerations. But what I don't really um, agree with is that the Yugoslav socialist state of the mid-80s, so the very late Yugoslav state, really provided neither the structure nor the initiative nor support for any type of wonderful effort like that. And that instead, Galaxia ended up being a way around the limitations that that state had imposed by that time. I think that is very illustrative of sort of the two-sided nature of what Galaxia teaches us, right? It both teaches us what an inspired and hardworking group of people was able to achieve in that arguably a very difficult period. And it also teaches us what the, the results of that wonderful effort were getting folks to be able to import their ZX Spectrums and Commodore 64s. I dare to say that with Computer Galaxia, the computer revolution started in my country, and that's that's the truth. There were some other projects with other computers, but uh, I think that they came a little bit too late and they could not be so successful like Galaxia. But uh, they were not do-it-yourself projects. It was buy-me project, not build-me. And the revolution was quite disruptive. Galaxia was so famous and successful because it effectively killed the Yugoslav microcomputer industry. Because Galaxia brought microcomputing really at the center of attention, you had tens of thousands of people who were interested in building it. And a part of this attention was actively being used to effectively lobby the state to change the strict customs regulations that prevented the import of foreign-made computers. And Galaxia was very successful in doing that because in late 1984, the uh, CIV, uh, the Executive Council of the Communist Party, introduced new legislation that essentially allowed folks to start legally importing foreign microcomputers. Shortly after the Galaxia killed the Yugoslav computer industry, I too was index finger punching basic commands into a domestic machine in an elementary school class, creating shapes and making little Q&As. PMD 85 was a made-in-Czechoslovakia dark gray box which we could work on for 15 to 20 minutes at a time before it overheated and smoke came out of it. My best friends were a guy with an Atari and another with a didactic Gamma, a domestic ZX Spectrum clone. And I guess I too look on that era with some nostalgia, one reason why the story of the Galaxia caught my eye. Another Czechoslovak company produced DIY computer kits in 1989, but the product flopped completely, I've never even seen one. As with so many other things, the Yugoslavs really were ahead of other socialist countries in computers as well. Anyway, Antonic made the Galaxia in part in order to bypass government-imposed limits on computer imports. Thanks to the Računari Uvašoj Kuči magazine, Galaxia became a hit, popularizing computers in the country. 
the government took notice and changed the regulations to spur the industry and allow computers to be imported. The floodgates opened, the foreign computers that everyone wanted in the first place took over the market, and the Galaxia, and with it Yugoslavia's entire, albeit tiny, computer industry became obsolete. Like a successful, beneficial project, the Galaxia worked itself out of existence. Alas, Antonich's fortunes mirrored the Galaxia's. Those early trends made the computer Galaxia to be forgotten very, very fast. Because, of course, I could not follow the trends in the multi-billion industry. A few years after that, the Galaxia computer was not just completely forgotten, but people were uh, making jokes with it, were making bad jokes about it. They were laughing at the computer, laughing at me. People uh, were telling that they have the phone which has 1000 times bigger computer power than my Galaxia and so on. You don't mm -hmm. feel good when you hear something like that. I was unhappy that I built that computer, that I offered it, and... Things went from bad to worse for Antonich in the 1990s. You know, we had war and civil war at that time, people were dying, and we were under embargo. Uh, uh, you couldn't have enough money for your basic, your family's basic needs, unless you were bad guy at that time. It was hard to live for an honest man to live at that time. And uh, at one moment I had uh, to move out from the flat that we were living on in, in three days. Uh, so when you even don't know what you, where you will live on, or what you will do and you have no money and you have to do something but you don't know what to do. Then I just disposed several prototypes of Galaxia, which I kept. I, I, I thought that they are really worthless. Everything was, was worthless at that moment. I, I disposed of a lot of my projects. I'm very sorry about that now, of course, but there's nothing that I can do. Antonich spent 20th century's last decade writing newspaper articles and books demystifying Serbia's faddish obsession with the paranormal and the occult. In 1995, the same year Antonich became temporarily homeless and threw away his galaxias, Ristanovic founded a new computer magazine, PC Press, which is still in existence. A long time ago, I wrote an article about that uh, project when it was long gone. And we asked people to write their thoughts about that, people from who made that computer, who know somebody who made them, what they think about that. And nearly all of them said it was so great experience. I wouldn't do it again, but I, I like it to remember that very, very much. And well, that made me feel happy. Once in a while, I got an email or meet somebody and so on who say, well, you know, you helped me. Uh, choose my profession. One of them said, without you, I would be a doctor. So I have to congratulate you for not <laughs> making me be a dummy doctor. So he, he became an engineer, of course. I'm very glad to hear it from time to time. It's nice to hear that things you did uh, help people find their world, their profession, their hobby, and so on. Antonich has had the same experience. 
now I, I still receive a lot of emails from people who just uh, have to th- say, thank you for changing my life. Now I'm working somewhere, maybe in Canada, Australia, US, Germany, somewhere as a computer specialist. And they just want to, 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 to say, thank you, you, you changed my life. And it's a great thing to think about, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ristanovic later started an internet service provider company which brought broadband to Serbia. Ten years ago, he sold that company to a multinational. As Serbia's prospects looked up after the turn of the millennium, so did Antonic's. After that quite bad period for me, when uh, some kind of renaissance of, of computers started in this century, uh, first I was invited by the Museum of Technical Science, I think, from Belgrade to donate one sample of Galaxia to them. It turned out he hadn't thrown out all the Galaxias after all. And later also the the same thing uh, arrived from the Computer History Museum from California, from uh, uh, Silicon Valley. And I also donated one sample of Galaxia to them. And now it's the exhibit in the Computer History Museum, which is just between Google's building and and Microsoft building in Silicon Valley, and that's what makes me very proud. I'm doing new projects. I have more wow. than 100 published projects. 100 do-it-yourself projects, none of them was as successful as Galaxia Computer, and uh, that makes me happy to communicate with a lot of people. Which are enthusiasts also. That mm-hmm. just makes me spend a better life. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. happy about that. You know what I want to say. <laughs> now I'm working as a digital hardware engineer in Pasadena, California. For Hackaday, in fact, the very place where he wrote about hacking socialist Yugoslavia's system. I moved four years ago. I moved actually. It was just one day before my my 65th birthday. I don't feel like old man now. I'm I'm still the same enthusiasm, and I'm, and I'm happy that I have the job here, which also enables me to to communicate with enthusiasts here in US, mm-hmm. and to help them perform their projects. So I can, I can say that I'm really happy now, at last. <laughs> That's it. If you want to be happy, you just have to be creative and you will be happy by default. You will never be bored that way. Sometimes, still, sometimes I have just to stop my work and to go out and to walk just to dissolve the adrenaline rush. And just, just, to, just to calm down because it's not good to be too, too pleased and too happy at one moment. <laughs> Maybe I don't think that it can it can kill you, but but you you have just to calm down sometimes. How can you be bored if you if you are doing the job which fulfills you so so much? You know what I'm talking about. You don't yeah. need no drugs. You don't. You will never never be depressed and uh, and. Actually, you will spend the life worth living. That's it.
That renaissance of old hardware Antonich was talking about has a name, retrocomputing. I think it really is coinciding with a couple of things. First of all, you know, there's definitely the idea of 20 or 30 year cycles in pop culture in general. And I think what we're really seeing is both the generation that lived with these devices as kids, finding them again or like remembering them after a long time. I know a lot of people in the retro computing community are folks who were kids in the 80s who are now sort of rediscovering these computers of their early youth. But then there's also uh, folks like myself who really never got to experience them, learning about them and really wanting to experience them for the first time. I'm a kid who was primary school in the 1970s, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm from the United Kingdom. Jenny List is a contributing editor and European correspondent at Hackaday. So I was very, very lucky to be just at the right age, to be just getting into secondary school when the first of the 8-bit computers came to market. My first computer was a Sinclair ZX81, and it's still the only computer I've ever had that I have fully understood how it works from the ground up. I understand how it works. I understand its microprocessor and its memory and its display. This is why retrocomputing is of interest to me, because they're computers that can be understood by an average engineer, shall we say. (laughs) The Galaxia fits in very well with that, because it's a uniquely understandable computer, because it's not based around custom chipsets and black boxes protected by digital rights management. Um, It's a computer you can actually understand by looking at its circuit diagram. And the other unique thing is there are quite a lot of reissued retro computers. Some fans have taken, let's say, the Sinclair Spectrum and have reverse engineered it and have produced a, a board that does the job of a Sinclair Spectrum, but isn't actually a Sinclair Spectrum. It wasn't made by Clive Sinclair's company. Whereas the reissued Galaxia actually is a Galaxia. It's from Voyeur's Bench, uh, which makes it, yet again, unique among retro computers. You can have the real thing. (laughs) Antonich and List are, of course, colleagues at Hackaday. It's not every day you meet the guy who designed one of the seminal computers for an entire generation in a country. Him writing about the Galaxia was absolutely fascinating because, of course, as a kid on on my side of the Iron Curtain, I'd never heard of the computers that were on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And to discover, I mean, it's not entirely, should never be a surprise, but to discover that the, uh, the geeks on the other side of Europe were doing exactly the same as us is immensely cool. With retrocomputing, I can't help but think that part of the appeal is the veneer of geeky, for some maybe even hipsterish cool that old tech imparts. My generation, the generation who had 8-bit computers in the 1980s, are now at the point where they can rediscover their youth. They've been through all the modern computers, and modern computers are cool, but they're very samey. And they go back to their first love. So there's been a huge revival of interest in everything from 8-bit Atari consoles through things like the Sinclair type of machines, Apple IIs, Commodore 64s, all the way through to sort of Amigas and even the sort of earlier decent spec PCs. If somebody grew up with it somewhere, there will be a fan base around resurrecting old ones and preserving them and writing software for them. 
there are certain aspects of that interest for some of us who are younger who cannot remember where these end up really being signifiers of a past that is cool but they may not really contain all the emotional or really cultural significance that they may hold for for other folks yes it's certainly to do with re-experiencing your childhood in a way probably that you never did before. So the number of people I know now who have all the toys that they couldn't have when they were teenagers. But there's also a cultural thing. There's very much a nostalgia for past formats, technical devices, you know, things such as the revival of the sale of cassette uh, music, for instance. I strongly suspect not many people are buying cassettes to actually listen to them. They're probably buying the cassette and downloading the uh, digital version or streaming it. They're buying the cassette as a thing to own. That's all part of this nostalgia for past entertainment things it's for instance you might know synthwave music it's like 80s synth music only it's a turbocharged 80s that's far better than the real 80s ever were you know there is a thirst for this now that of course is a more global thing i think there's definitely aspects of that same cycle occurring in post-Yugoslav states as well. You know, I can definitely speak for uh, for Croatia in particular. There is definitely currently an ongoing wave of 80s nostalgia. There has been one for quite a while now. The Croatian TV show Crnobieli Svijet, or The Black and White World, is a prime example of this phenomenon. The Galaxia magazine makes an appearance in a couple of episodes, and in season 3, episode 1, which takes place in the spring of 1984, a high schooler assembling a smuggled ZX Spectrum references the backwardness of the Yugoslav computer education by mocking programming an Orao computer with BASIC. A mi u trećem srednje kode bili sjednemo za onaj Orao i tipkamo Go to ten run. Dobro, di smo mi od njih sto svjetlostnih godina, čovječe. To po svemu, stari moj. And I think it largely coincides with that generation that was young, maybe a little older than than kids, but really like people who were in their 20s, in their 80s, are really folks who are currently sort of at their professional peak and have a disproportionate influence on our pop culture. As with Yugo Nostalgia, I wonder how much of retrocomputing is driven by resistance, how much of it is an expression of dissatisfaction with or a critique of the present state of affairs in the computer world. Very much the play button is increasingly being turned into the pay button. And, you know, all these sort of download the game, but you want in-app purchases and that kind of stuff. And it's very refreshing to have a game where you just shove the cartridge in the machine and play it and that's it. And certainly there are quite a lot of handheld consoles which are designed to be completely playable, completely hackable, lots and lots of fan-written software that's free to download, uh, which is the absolute antithesis of your handheld modern console from a large manufacturer who wants you to pay to download all the software and probably pay a, um, a subscription on top of it as well. Retrocomputing has its own challenges in former Yugoslavia. 
there's also this painful topic of when you look at how retro computing in our local community is, is looked at, there's two sides of it, um, as I guess there always is in our post-conflict societies. There's folks who are going to be looking at the quote-unquote Serbian computers, which Galaxia will often get cited as, which to me, it just seems intellectually dishonest, uh, where um, some other folks are going to look at these Galeb and Oros made in Varazhen and be like, oh yeah, this is a Croatian computer. I think if you go to Wikipedia, it might say it's a Croatian computer, which is like, yes, in a very limited sense it is. That, of course, like gives this unfortunate flavor to our local topic. But I think we really are going through a more global phenomenon. A number of enthusiasts, mostly in former Yugoslav countries, have built Galaxias over the past 10-15 years, and a few documented their accomplishments online, providing Vince with ready-made support. As for his Galaxia... It is functional now. I'm so happy to report that it is still functional. After I completed it, I kind of had a couple of these. It works for a couple of days and then something breaks because you know my soldering skills aren't the best. But yeah, it's been working for a while now. Vince may have concluded the Galaxia project, but he isn't done with Yugoslav computers. His next challenge, building an Orao computer. What I really am hoping to do with the Orao is to get a more in-depth story about what computing education was like in that period of the late 80s. It's really this deep archival study and trying to make some types of conclusions and narratives out of that. On his blog, Vince writes, while I don't think we should all go back to making our own computers, I do wonder if there are other ways we can lay claim to the technologies we use to transcend the cycle of perpetual consumption and waste generation imposed on us through planned obsolescence. For me, learning this history is the first step. What I do find valuable about really kind of engaging with the topic and almost like a thought experiment type of way is the potential it has to influence our thinking about technology right now. This is also where I've found my experience trying to engage with this material and learning about the things folks did then and thinking about, okay, well, how is this relevant to me now in 2021 when we're living this dystopian technological future with mega corporations ruling the internet, having our data, the potential to have an impact that comes from the bottom up in a way that Galaxia did in thinking like, okay, well, where are we now? And what, what can I learn about this other than, you know, all of this that is important to me because of my, my heritage. And did those geeks in AT's time type upon their computer screens? And was Voyaz Galaxia in Yugoslav's pleasant room scene? And did the Rachunari mag shine forth upon our nerdy thrills? And was Galaxia built here among these dark socialist ills? Bring me an imported spectrum, bring me some 8 bits of desire. Bring me a Commodore, O oh Lord, build me a Galaxia, sire. I will not cease from tinkering, nor shall my soldering gone sleep, till we have built Retro Eden in my monitor's pixel keep. Print, goodbye. End. Next time on Remembering Yugoslavia, we'll stay in the 80s. In the 80s, together with the decline of Yugoslavia in economic, political and social terms, you know, the culture erupted as such. Nostalgia for the 1980s continues to flourish. Why is that? 
What was so special about Yugoslavia's final decade? Find out on the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find additional information, videos, screenshots, and a transcript of this episode in the show notes at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. If you like the show, then please support it. Go to rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate and loop a monthly contribution or input one-time donation. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by Petar Alargic licensed under Creative Commons. 8-bit Chariots of Fire courtesy of Vlado Vince. Tracks by Detective Spook. Played with permission, eternal gratitude and special thanks to Martin Petkovsky. I am Peter Korchniak. Ciao.